0: One remark just before we get in at the end, Paul makes this little comment that he actually signed this book and he says, uh, this is my distinguishing mark in all of my letters. Now, I don't think that means that he signed with an X, but many people feel that Paul suffered from uh, something like the palsy and probably had kind of shaky handwriting. And so he would say, you can trust this because you've seen this handwriting before. Nobody could imitate this. Now, as I read through the text this morning, you no doubt heard a familiar um, saying. It's one that my grandparents often tried on me. uh, The one that said, if any would not work, neither shall he eat. Well, I'm not going to focus on that this morning. Um, But there's another saying in here that you probably heard your parents repeat as you were growing up when you were in school. Or maybe as you were finding your way around in your social circles. The saying is this. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, do you know where that saying came from? Bad company corrupts good character? Well, I'll tell you, it was not from a uh, fortune cookie. Rather, it actually comes from the Bible. Specifically, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 33. Uh, Paul said it. Now, I was actually thinking about this particular verse as I was preparing this message on chapter 3. Because in many ways, that little statement is the theme of Second Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm going to take you back a little bit by way of review. That's what every teacher does. Help you review a little bit before we get to the new thing. But we've been talking about how to develop a faith that is as solid as steel. A faith that can withstand anything that the world tosses our way. In fact, I think I called it a bulletproof faith. You may remember several weeks ago when we first started, first Thess- or Second Thessalonians chapter 1, we talked about being a sugar cookie. Do you remember that? About going at the, the seals who would go fully in uniform, dive into the ocean, roll around the sand, and have to live that way all day. <clears throat> it's kind of like when the going gets tough, you need to look beyond today at what's coming your way. And, and while you're looking beyond today, you can also live each day as if it's already happened because it's as good as done. As far as the word of God is concerned, that's a couple weeks back. Now, two weeks ago, as we looked at chapter two, we talked about keeping your head on straight. Uh, don't be gullible. Don't uh, believe everything you hear. Don't follow the doom and gloom crowd. Instead, keep a firm grip on the truth that empowers you. One of the interesting things that I, I try to tell people as often as I can is this, that God's truth, God's word, is always empowering. God's word is never there for the purpose of putting us down. It's to empower us to live right lives. So that's the truth we need to hang on to. Now today here in 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul is addressing a problem in this particular church in Thessalonica. It appears that some people were living, I guess, what we might call pretty good lives. But there are other people in this little church that were not pulling their own weight. So Paul, interestingly enough, kind of takes them to task. He challenges them to live a life of character. Now, we've been talking about developing a bulletproof faith. Uh, and for that to happen, you also need to develop what I would call bulletproof character and let me tell you something about character. Character is contagious. Actually, it's not just that character is contagious. It's that people who have it and people who don't have it are contagious. There are people who have got really good character. They're contagious. There, there are other people that we just might call characters, bad character. They're also contagious. Bad company corrupts good character. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. But it can also be argued that good company, well, not corrupts, but converts bad character. And that's why Paul said so many times, if you followed along in this chapter today, he says, follow my example. Imitate me. Do what I taught you. do as I, uh, Do what I do. Now, everybody who is around you in your day-to-day walk, people that you live with, people that you work with, people that you teach, your neighbors, whoever, every last one of those people is contagious uh, in some way or another. Either they are a good influence or they are a bad influence. That's why I could have very simply called this message today contagious. Because that's what people are. They're contagious. It can be a good contagion. It can also be a bad contagion. But everyone has at least a little bit of contagiousness in them. But the quality of your character comes down to whose influence you will allow yourself to catch. That's why Paul says you need to be very careful. He says you need to be careful what you catch from those around you. I think I may have skipped one here. I'll beat up here a little bit later. Be careful what you catch from those around you. And be careful what you pass on. See, good character doesn't happen by accident. If you don't specifically choose to move in the direction that God would call you to develop a godly character, you're almost sure you're going to be heading in the other direction. So I want to share with you today three different things that you need to do to be kind of solid to seal so that you can actually be a contagious Christian in a good way. Now, the first thing is to follow the example of Integrity. I love that word integrity. Uh, When the promise keepers movement for men was really big and going, they talked about developing men of integrity. Well, what that word integrity means in the Greek language means to have a one piece heart that you're not divided, that what you see is what you get. Or as somebody else has said, it's like, are you the same person in the light as you are in the dark? Are you a person of integrity? Paul said in verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. He said we were not idle when we were among you. Now he said that because he had just finished saying this in verse 6. He said keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching that you received from us. Now Paul is saying you've got good examples to follow. You've got bad examples to follow. So follow the good example, he says. In fact... He's bold enough to say, follow my example. Now, that's kind of a dangerous thing. How many of you are willing to tell other people, hey, in life, follow my example? I've thought about that because, you know, as a pastor, I guess that I've always been in a position, or even when I was a teacher, follow my example, follow my lead. Well, am I exhibiting good character or am I just a character, a bad character? Now, when Paul says here that we should keep away from every brother who's idle, he's not talking about that Amish practice of shunning people, kind of moving them to the side, uh, cutting off all social contact with them. In fact, you may have caught a little bit later here in verse 14, where he said that you should not treat those people as enemies, but you're just to warn them as brothers. He's saying that there are some people that are in the body of Christ who are members of your church that may not be, exhibiting as good a character as they should. Uh, he said, you know, treat them as somebody you need to kind of give a gentle push to from time to time. Now, when I look at my Facebook page, sometimes I am flat out amazed. I think I looked the other day. I do not know how I accumulated 522 friends. Quite honestly, I can't think of more than 10 that I consider to be friends. But somehow you know how that works. You've got all these friends. Well, as I kind of scrolled down that long list one day, I realized that I have some friends whose lives are not really where they should be spiritually. Many of these people who are people that would call themselves Christians. Some of them are people who've been members of churches that I have pastored over the years. But... And there's always a but, isn't there? Some of them call themselves Christians, but they are not walking in day-to-day obedience. Now, I think part of the reason is some of these people have received Jesus as Savior. They know that Jesus died on the cross for them, but they have not yet made Jesus Lord of their life. Where each and every day they live in obedience to what Jesus would ask them to do. But yet, these people, even though they're not walking in obedience, these are still my friends. I am not unfriending them. Uh, I am not going to reject their friendship. But neither do I let their habits or their worldview influence the way I think or believe. In fact, I'm hoping it's the other way around. Because there are times when I will take these people to task. Not always publicly, but sometimes privately. Privately. And I do that because I hope to be able to influence them in some way about the way they think and the way they behave. Now, Paul says, follow the example of integrity. Now, for everyone that you know, every friend, every coworker, every fellow student, every family member, you, you need to ultimately decide what level of influence am I going to allow that person to have in my life. Is this person that I come into contact with, is this somebody whose example I could follow? Or is this somebody who desperately needs your good example or my example? I mean, I think about this because I've been an educator most of my life. Will I be this person's student or will I be this person's teacher? Now, in your best relationships, you're probably going to be both. There're going to be some people who are going to teach you some things about developing a good character, and there're going to be times when you get a chance to do that for other people. It's a case of, as Proverbs says, <coughs> a, a case of iron sharpening iron. I like that verse too, because you know what happens when iron sharpens iron? Sometimes sparks fly. That's okay. When, when you're having a uh, you know a, a come to Jesus meeting with somebody else sometimes, and you're trying to move them from uh, questionable character into good character. Sometimes sparks will fly if you're developing them. But you need to be selective about who you allow to sharpen you. Paul says, follow our example. And in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, he said, uh, you became imitators of us and the Lord. Now, it's very important for us to understand, it says us of us and the Lord. Paul's not saying, Follow me, specifically, but follow me because of who I am in the Lord. Follow the example I've been giving you of how to follow the Lord. Now, a long time ago, I started making a list, uh, a list that I still keep today, uh, a list of people that I would feel comfortable um, imitating, people that I hold in high regard. In other words, people whose example I would love to follow and I should follow. I think about my good friend, Dr. Kent Hunter, a well-known church consultant. I mean, Kent is the kind of guy that I would like to be like in many respects. Or I think of my very good friend, Dr. Harry Wendt, who writes all of this wonderful crossways material. And, you know, when pressed at one time, and I asked him how many times he'd ever read through his Bible. He didn't want to tell me, but I poked him a little bit further, and he said, I finally stopped counting at 100 times. And every time I think that I may know a lot about the Bible, I just need to spend about five minutes with Harry, and I know I don't know nothing. But he's a guy that I would like to follow. Now, that list I have is not terribly long. But every name on that list is a person whose life is characterized by integrity and accomplishment within a Christ-centered relationship. And for everybody on that list, I have specifically decided what it is about them that's worth imitating. When Nancy put together a promise book for our granddaughter-in-law, the note that she wrote at the end, were some things that she's learned in life from her friends, people who have sharpened her from time to time. When you talk about your friend Nancy, and you said you learned to have a friend, you need to be a friend. And there's a whole long list of people that Nancy mentioned in her life that I think that she respects and who taught her something in life. I also know that there's a long list of people who would have her name on their list. Because she, too, has been a good example for their lives. I mean, there are some people you look at and you say, the way this person leads their family. And I think you and I would agree would be somebody like Ed and Carolyn Alberts, Or the way this person is always on time. Well, a lot of those people don't hang around me very often because I like to be on time. Or the way this person always tells the truth, even if the truth kind of hurts from time to time. Or the way this person exudes the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, or the way this person can actually listen to you without interrupting, or the way this person has an attitude of no condemnation, or on and on and on. In fact, every time I think of a character quality that I need to develop, one of the first things I, I try to remember is, what do I, or who do I know that has this quality? How can I learn it the way they learned it? And... And usually that person, if it's somebody new, I just kind of stick them on my list. If you want to develop a bulletproof character, make the intentional, on-purpose decision to follow the example of godly integrity. There's the quote I wanted before. Be careful what you catch. Be careful what you pass on. But the second thing is this. Follow the path of responsibility. Going on in our text, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, we hear that some of you are idle, and I love this next sentence. They are not busy, they are busybodies. Some people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. I want to share something with you that I read in a book not long ago. A guy's name is Stephen May, and he's talking about a home visit that he made. And he wrote this, A number of years ago, I visited a man who was going through some difficult times. He had been out of work for a while. Even though his wife was working, there was a strain on the family finances, and they needed some help. He was not exactly productive at home. His wife got up in the morning to get their daughter ready for school before she went to work, and then she'd come home at night and cook dinner for the family. He spent his time playing video games and surfing the Internet under the guise of looking for work. When I arrived at his house at his request, the first thing I noticed was that the grass was really tall. The garage door was open, and I could barely see inside because of the big piles of clutter. When I went in the house, he put his video game on pause so that we could talk. He told me all about his situation, how he'd sent out dozens of resumes and was ready to give up hope. He was discouraged and frustrated, and he asked me what I thought he should do. I thought... Well, I am his pastor, and he has asked. So I said, here's what I suggest. Go to sleep at night when your wife goes to bed. Don't stay up watching TV or playing on the computer. Get up in the morning when your wife gets up and spend the day being productive. Unplug your PlayStation and put it in the attic, or better yet, sell it. Mow your yard, clean up your garage, do the laundry, make sure dinner's on the table when your wife walks in the door, and make sure you do something job search-related every day. Well, he was also a professing believer, so I added, I also suggest that you spend an hour each day reading and studying a book of the Bible, work verse by verse through this book. Why did I challenge him to do so? I I was challenging him to follow the path of responsibility to stop being idle. We've all heard the saying, an idle mind is the devil's playground. You could also say, an idle life is the devil's playground. Because when you are idle and unproductive, you create a lot of room in your life for a wide variety of bad decisions. A lot of good advice in that particular little story. I mean, that's why Paul would would add to these verses in verse uh, thirteen. He says, "Verse thirteen up there." And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, "Follow the path of responsibility." Now, here's a good question to ask yourself, especially when you don't really have anything to do. Ask yourself, uh, what's the most responsible thing I could be doing right now? Well, sometimes the most responsible thing you could do is close your eyes and take a nap or go to bed. Uh, sometimes the most responsible thing you could do is get out of bed. Uh, Sometimes the most responsible thing you could do would be you give your undivided attention to your spouse or to your kids. Or sometimes the most responsible thing you could do is read something or learn something or study something or write something. Uh, Sometimes the most responsible thing that you can do is to reward yourself maybe with some uplifting entertainment. It's just kind of getting into the habit of saying, is this what the Lord would want me doing? Is this what I'm what I'm about to do, the most responsible, God-pleasing thing that I can do? If not, what would be? See, character is not something that you just accidentally stumble on and pick up. If you're going to get there, you've got to get there on purpose. You follow the path of responsibility. And third, you follow the practice of accountability. Now, Paul was saying to the Thessalonians that (laughs) there are a few lazy people in church. These aren't the people who fall asleep in church. He just said are just some people that they're lazy and that you can't say any other way. And so in verse 10, he said, when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If man will not work, he shall not eat. But he also says in verses 14 and 15, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him or her. Do not associate with him. In order that he may feel ashamed, yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now, there are people in this world, I think you've probably all met them, and maybe you've been this kind of person one time in your life, but there are people who want to live according to their own rules. They don't want you or anyone else telling them what to do. They want to do their own thing without having to answer to anybody. And they still want everything they think that they are entitled to. Now, as a person of godly character, that's what Paul is talking about. You can That cannot be you. That can't be me. You need people in your life who will hold you accountable for what you say and what you do. And at the same time, as a person of character, you just can't let yourself get talked into a situation where you are carrying somebody else's load with no accountability on their part. If you do, it's just a disservice to the other person. Now, what Paul is saying, really what the Holy Spirit is giving to Paul, is saying that as Christian people, we need accountability. We need to have to answer to someone for the decisions that we make. I mean, people who have no accountability usually fall in the area of responsibility. Now, I've seen it more times than I can count both in churches, uh, businesses, families. I've seen churches that were organized in such a way that the pastor answered absolutely to no one. And I've never really seen a model of church government work successfully like that over the long haul. But I will tell you that one of the things that I appreciate about one pastor, and this is a pastor who would be on my leadership list of characters, his name is Bill Hybels. And Bill Hybels is the pastor of one of the largest churches in America. It's Willow Creek Church. It's up in South Barrington, Illinois, in Chicago suburbs. Uh, One of the things I really appreciate about Bill is that as the church has grown and as he has gotten older, he has become more and more accountable to his leadership team. And, uh, by the way, my prediction is that when Bill retires in a few years, as he just announced he was intending to do, Willow Creek will probably be one of a few megachurches that does not deflate when a new leader takes over. He's preparing them for the next move. See, without accountability, it's too easy to fall into this, I'm not going to work, but I still want to eat mentality. People of character don't take that risk. They set up accountability structures in their life to help keep them focused and on track. So let me ask you this question. How accountable are you? I mean, think about your accountability, for example, in your work life. Uh, most people have a job. Uh, if you don't, and if you're self-employed, uh, do you have somebody to answer to somewhere? Uh, can you think about how you could be more productive in your work if you set up some sort of an accountability structure? Or what about in your personal life? Are there parts of your personal life that you uh, are not accountable to? Uh, do you make decisions without ever consulting anyone else one of the questions i often ask of couples counseling before marriage i have them sit back to back and i give them a pad of paper and i ask them a few questions like the first question is what color are your partner's eyes it's amazing how many people have never wouldn't know uh i ask them uh, other <laughs> questions but one other question i ask them right is write down the most amount of money you think you could spend apart from groceries without consulting your partner. You guys can try that one later on yourself. I'm amazed that there are some people, I've already I had a guy said, hey, I'm going to be the one making all the money, why do I need to tell her when I spend it? Do you think there might be a little trouble down the road there somewhere? Maybe. What about your spiritual life? To whom are you accountable Anybody who keeps you on your toes. Uh, On Saturday night, sometimes my wife and I go to church where our son and his wife go. And when I walk out the door, the pastor uh, often stops and talks to him. He says, you know, you're one of my Bereans. How did I do? And what he wants to know is, did what I say last night or what did I say during the sermon, did it make sense? Was it right? Was I wrong? Well, I'll write him an email this last, next week and say everything was, I told him it was really good, but I will write and tell him that you had Moses on the wrong mountain last night. Uh, but then again, I've also had Moses in the ark too, uh, so that I know how that works. I mean, can you don't, can you go days without praying or reading your Bible and nobody would ever know? Uh, is there some way you can establish some accountability? See, people of character are accountable. They hold other people accountable as well. Uh, There's a certain contagious nature to character. In fact, you could say that character must be caught before it can ever be taught. So what does this mean? Here we get to the Lutheran part of the message. Okay, What does this mean? Well, it means that if you want to become a person of godly character, you have to make a conscious decision to surround yourself with the right kind of people, good influence, protect yourself from people who are heading Uh, who aren't heading in the the right direction. You also need to think about who you're influencing other people. Uh, I mean, I said it before, be careful what you catch. Be careful what you pass on. I mean, look closely at the examples that you follow and the examples you set for others. I mean, look carefully at your level of responsibility. Are you doing the best you can with what you have? Look closely at your system of accountability. I mean, have you organized your life Scripture would tell us, so that you're not able to get away with anything. I mean, have you organized your life so that people of integrity have the right to offer you correction? Or are you willing to do the same for people who seek your leadership? So character doesn't happen by accident. It's intentional. So make it your intention to catch the right qualities and to pass them on to those around you. Now, I've left out one important point up to this point. Because up to this point, this could have been a pretty decent message at a Kiwanis club or a business meeting. Let's talk about what contagious, who real contagious people are. Let's call them contagious believers. Contagious believers are, of course, infected. But what are they infected with? They are infected with Jesus. Their faith, their very lives are infectious. They have caught God's love in Jesus Christ, and they urgently and infectiously offer it to all who are willing to consider it. That's why Paul encouraged these contagious believers in Thessalonica with these words. He said, the people of these regions report how you turn to God from idols, how you serve a living and true God. In other words, he said, hey, guess what? The people in your town say... Jesus is your agenda. It's the only thing on your agenda. And guess what, friends? All of us have an agenda. We all have something we live for, and it shows. It shows the way we use our time. It shows in the way we spend our money. It shows in the way we treat our family or our friends or our neighbors or our classmates or our coworkers. Contagious believers People who, ex- who receive Jesus not only as Savior, but also as Lord, turn from being self-serving and instead live their lives today in service to Jesus. What's on your agenda, Jesus? I think I'm going to try to say that because quite often uh, my wife will ask me, what do you got planned for today? Maybe I should just say, uh, Jesus, and then we'll see what else happens. Maybe that would be a great way to refocus. See, these contagious Thessalonians were absolutely convinced that the only way to live life was through Jesus. And they were equally convinced that the only way to die was Jesus. They were absolutely convinced that when they did die, they would experience the joy of heaven because they had trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord. I mean, Paul, when he talks about that, he says, you know, know, to live, to to die would be gain. But to live, you know, God's still giving me something to do on this earth. See, these people, and I would pray that these would be people like you and I, too, are people who are convinced about the reality of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that you would be people that that understand fully that you have been brought into the saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Contagious believers then do not entrust themselves with their eternity because they know that no amount of good they do can bring them into the kingdom of heaven on his or her own. That happens only by trusting Jesus and giving him your life. See, contagious believers place their eternity in Jesus' hands. And they also know that being contagious, they ought to try to infect as many people as possible around them. So our challenge today, friends, is there to be a contagious Christian. May God bless it for his name and for his sake. Amen.